Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, joined today by Alan Safran and AJ Gutierrez from a company called Saga Education. Alan is the CEO and chairman there, and AJ is the chief policy and public affairs officer. We're going to be talking about some of the really interesting work that they're doing, the different angle that they're taking, perhaps, on solving some of the learning challenges we're facing and how tutoring and some of the other tools that we're going to talk about that we'll get into as part of our conversation. But before we do that, I just want to welcome the two of you to the show. Welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. So we always begin by getting to know our guests a little bit better, hearing their origin story and how that connects to the work that they're doing in their professional lives. I hear there's lots of really interesting ties into the story of Saga Education. Can you catch us up on who you are, how you got to this point, and then we'll pick up from there on the story of Saga Education. Let's start with you, AJ. Great. I, thank you so much for having us, Michael. I'm so excited to share our, our story. You know, at Saga Education, we specialize in helping districts, school districts implement evidence-based high-impact tutoring models. I know I'm, I'm deeply connected to this work, just going back to my personal story. You know, I grew up with a single mother in Boston and you know, she's a really strong woman who raised three kids who worked multiple jobs to make ends meet, did her best to make sure that education was a priority for me. Yet I still struggled academically and every year just continued to get harder and harder for me. And I felt disconnected from school, even at, as soon as elementary school. But that all changed when I attended high school. And that's where I actually met Alan Sapram for the first time. And when I started as a freshman in high school, Alan started as the executive director. So he's known me since I was 14 years old. He was my wow. chess coach. And so there are so many things incredible about the school. And among them was, it was the first time to my understanding where a public school integrated tutoring into the regular school day in addition to core classroom instruction. And that was just game changing for me to help build my foundational skills, to understand what was going on in class, to feel connected to a caring adult in school. And that just transformed my academic trajectory. Putting it, that in a time context, this is like early 2000s? Correct. Yeah, it's early 2000s. And, you know, as we think about the moment we're in right now in K-12 education, I mean, it, the magnitude of the need is really unprecedented. You know, if you look at the most recent national test score data, you know, only a quarter of eighth grade students are proficient in mathematics. A less than third of our eighth grade students are reading at grade level. I mean, the decisions we make now from a policy perspective, from a practitioner perspective, is probably the most important we'll make in our lifetimes. Right. And the pandemic, the effects that it had on learning is quite severe. We not only have a moral imperative to address this, but also an economic one, an international economic think tank, OSID, calculated the impact that the long-term impact that learning loss will have on U.S. GDP. And they calculate a long-term impact of like $14.2 trillion. And it's a significant yeah. amount of dollars that it, it could be worse. So I think the moment now is to address this. So everyone knows that tutoring is a really great way to help kids. Yeah, the question is like, how do you do that in a sustainable and cost-effective way? Yeah. And that's exactly what we've been exploring at Saga Education. And as we play with different models, different permutations, trying to understand the impact on student outcomes through rigorous scientific evaluations through gold standard randomized control research studies. And those happen to be very rare in education, which is quite surprising. You know, the innovation that takes place in the United States in healthcare and in technology 
that innovation apparatus then exists the same way in education. And so for us, from a business perspective, we saw a lot of opportunity in changing that dynamic, changing that paradigm. And so a big part of our strategy has been to engage with our research partners at the University of Chicago Education Lab. And that really has been to win beneath our wings as an organization. Uh, and so the, when COVID-19 came along, the pandemic was wreaking havoc on the K-12 education system. And then there became this growing convergence on high-impact tutoring as a way to mitigate the impact of COVID on learning loss. And we were so thrilled that the research basis on our work could be that catalyst. Now we're in the moment where we want to try to help schools and districts get it right. And we have a range of ways in which we're approaching that. But I think the other thing that really differentiates Saga from others in the space is that, you know, ultimately we're seeking real systems change. Uh, we're not looking to be a direct provider of tutoring indefinitely. We're hoping to demonstrate what's possible through direct implementation. But ultimately, schools and districts should implement high-impact tutoring on their own and make mm -hmm. it part of the fabric of how they operate. If you think about it, it's kind of strange that tutoring has existed outside the K-12 ecosystem. Right. Now, our, our district leaders, are, they mean, they're expert educators. And when you make tutoring part of the regular school day, you not only create opportunities to accelerate learning, but you also find great pathways to support classroom teachers. Yeah, makes sense. And, uh, you know, I do have a background as a Kaplan tutor back in the day and Kaplan as a private for-profit company throughout its history was always delivering tutoring as well as classroom-based programs. And it is interesting that to your point, K-12 hasn't historically thought about that integration and developing a program that's able to do both of those things. Alan, bringing you in, you saw that light early. It sounds like there may have been some coinings of terminology in your background as well. Can you round out a little more of the story, your story, and then how that relates to what's happening at Saga and some of what AJ laid out there? Yeah, I should start by saying when I met AJ, I was just a little more than three times older than he was. Yeah. I'm just barely, not even two times older than he is now. So he's catching me catching over up. time. And I think the math of that is interesting. And a lot of what Saga does is math. I'm the son of two public school teachers. My sisters are both in education. And my parents inculcated in all of us a sense of education as a priority and of trying to solve social justice problems. There's mm -hmm. been an injustice in American public education since the beginning, which is that kids experiencing poverty who come to school, therefore, on average, many years behind grade level, are not given the supports they need in school to be able to succeed. I don't blame the teachers. The kids come with such a heterogeneity in a classroom. I don't blame teachers who are struggling to do their best. Yeah. Their teachers are heroic, and it's not the kids' fault either. You know, if they're growing up in a neighborhood of crime or of poverty or of fear and of trauma and that emotional stress that takes on kids, but there's been no one to solve that problem. We're here to try to solve that problem, mm -hmm. working with others. The solution has got to be that we make kids feel that they belong in school, that they're connected to caring adults. And from that relationship, one of our favorite statements that we were taught by Charlie Spazato, the founding principal of the school that AJ was a student in, and he was my partner in that school. Mm -hmm. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You've got to develop a sense of caring between the caring adult and the kids. Then kids are willing to take risks in terms of showing what they do or do not know. Take advice, take coaching, take instruction, and blossom and flourish like AJ did. I saw him flourish before my eyes. And But it, you need caring adults in schools. Schools are not designed to personalize for kids. They've got to redesign or will continue to fail kids who are experiencing poverty, who in this country are disproportionately black and brown. It is an injustice that we won't stand for. So the opportunity of COVID is not just to see tutoring as well, let's catch kids up for the losses they suffered in COVID. The opportunity is to redesign our schools so they work. 
Right. And that's what motivates us every morning to get up and, and has us now going from a direct service provider, which is awfully slow way to try to serve millions of kids who need help, to becoming the partner for states and districts around this country. And in fact, countries around the world. We consult in the Netherlands for the last six years, but help. Everybody wants to do tutoring to help them get it right. There's a lot of bad tutoring out there. All tutoring is not alike. Yeah. Our randomized control trials say that our model is the most effective ever rigorously studied. So let's put some of that DNA out there and help schools do what they, in the heart of hearts, know they should do, but have had the inertial forces of public education as any big bureaucracy have stymied that. It's time to, to move the train and to move the ship. Yeah. And it's interesting when you talk about the challenges that our teachers have faced, it is Interesting to think about if at a district level, I'm able to integrate and deploy tutoring interventions in tandem with more traditional classroom interventions and have like that trusted adult dynamic ideally arise in more than one touch point, right? You have your teacher in your class, but then your tutor, there's some continuity of care and some, someone else knows your name, someone else who's older, who you can trust is out there. AJ, you experienced this firsthand. I would be curious some of your reflections on what that experience was like and then how you see that sort of scaling with some of the models that Saga is putting out there. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, people, when they think about tutoring, immediately think about accelerating learning and building foundational skills. And that certainly was really important for me. But, you know, the opportunity to connect with someone who knew my name, who knew my birthday, who reached out to my mom. I, I just remember my mom getting a phone call from school and just being delighted, just lit up about things are going well. And oftentimes families, when they get a call from school, it's like something bad has happened. Right. And, and that just really changed that dynamic. And it was so meaningful. And my mom really felt that she was part of my learning. And that was really, really, really special to her. And I'm sure for everyone's listening, as you think about your own academic journeys, there are specific people who come to mind who really inspired you and made a big difference. And that's essentially what we're trying to create by scaling high-impact tutoring. And from a business perspective, ultimately at Saga, our objective is to have a systemic impact. And we're doing that in three important ways. Through direct programs, you know, implementing high-impact tutoring on our own using evaluations to understand you know, different models and how they impact student outcomes, things like artificial intelligence and technology and human capital, like how do you optimize the use of both of those things? Yeah. And then we have our widespread impact body of work. And through widespread impact, we're trying to build the capacity of schools and districts to implement what we're learning on their own. And then it's advocacy where we're trying to identify the leverage or point at the state and federal level to create the conditions to support evidence-based high-impact tutoring long-term. Mm -hmm. And so those are the three core bodies of work that shape our operations as a nonprofit. Yeah. And you are a nonprofit, which is also worth noting. And then the mission, which I guess coming back to you, Alan, the mission was something that kind of grew out of your experiences at a school. Can you talk about that aspect of the evolution of Saga through the years? Yeah, I'm going to credit Mike Goldstein, the founder of Saga, with the idea of embedding a tutoring core into the school day for kids. And I was the guy that then oversee and manage that work. But you know, kids like AJ were coming to school, typical American high school. Kids are arriving on average three years behind grade level. This is an American story that people don't talk about. The kids are arriving on average three years behind grade level. How does a teacher differentiate and try to race towards end of ninth grade goals when kids are arriving 
on average three years behind, which means some kids are five, six, or seven years behind. It's impossible. Right. It's structurally impossible. We saw that at match in the first two years. The first two years, we didn't have this tutoring program. We said, Mike said, and, and we talked about it, how are we going to, how are we going to lift the trajectory of kids? They'll be coming out of the school just like they're coming out of, of other traditional district schools, not really equipped, not yet at grade level, promoted for social reasons, not for competency reasons. How do we get it? So we had to enlist a whole new labor force, which was these full-time tutors. We built a dorm for them, not going to happen across the country. So we could pay them a low stipend, but they'd have a place to live. It was like MTV's real world. It was a heck of a thing. It was on the third floor of the school. And kids could never go out there until the day they graduated. Then they raced to see what was that mysterious dorm on the third floor of their three-story building. So we were out of the box in those days. But the idea now, in fact, I would say proudly that of all the ideas and initiatives and innovations that have come out of charters since they were created about 30 years ago, this is the one that's had the most transferability across that chasm between charter public schools and traditional public schools. Because districts realize and teachers realize this is a teacher supportive idea. This is something where there's a partnership with the teacher. And on behalf of the kids, teachers would dream of personalizing for every kid. How can they with a student load of 100 or 150? They can't do it. It's structurally designed so it will not work for a teacher to build personal relationship. That's intolerable. Tutors are going to be partners. And by the way, if tutors have a great experience, a nurturing year working with kids. They're more likely to want to then become part of a teacher pipeline. The yeah. challenge pipeline for school. So it's supportive of kids and supportive of teachers. And evidence say it's going to be the most effective intervention if it's done right. The time for tutoring is, has come. Yeah. And it's interesting, the tailwinds of the pandemic for online tutoring are real as well, where the readiness of folks to adopt online formats, we're recording this podcast in Zoom right now. Prior to the pandemic, I think there was more reluctance and a little more caution around those types of solutions. Since the pandemic, there's two aspects of this. One is that kids are further behind, so they need the interventions more. And then secondly, the readiness to adopt online formats is also more there. I'd love to maybe hear first your thoughts about tutoring, online tutoring, and the power of online versus face-to-face, -face, which I know there's benefits to both, and they're both part of your program. And then AJ hit one of my buzzword bingo ideas when he mentioned AI. So I am going to want to hear more how you're thinking about that. But first, just in terms of the ability to do this through a distributed workforce, through this online format that has really accelerated meaningfully in the past couple of years, I'd love to get some of your perspectives on that. Lily touched the first part and then AJ will touch the second. So the first part, everything you said, I agree with Michael, but districts are still very reluctant to provide live online instruction for the kids, having had the bad experience for teachers and for parents and for kids, mm -hmm. which was the world of COVID when kids were not in school and 25 right. kids on a screen for a teacher. They're mm -hmm. still burned by it. Mm -hmm. We say to them, look, tutoring's a different beast. It's not 25 kids on a screen, it's two or three. You've got to have a platform that recreates as best as possible in the vertical environment of a screen, what we used to have in the horizontal environment of across the table. Mm -hmm. We happen to have such a platform. We bought it with funding from the Gates Foundation, a company out of Colorado that we've now absorb the engineers and all the talent and then triple their staff so they can do more products that help kids. Hmm. But the platform has got to be good. It's got to have fewer kids at a time and they've got to have camera and audio and they've got to have the tools and curriculum easily. They call it ingested into the platform. So it can be instruction can be quite facile. The big piece about live online instruction is the pool of people able to do that is much deeper than the pool who you could find locally language abilities, Gender, like just think about all the aspects you could source nationally to serve your kids locally. Especially in rural America, there's not 
much chance you're going to find as much local talent. And the average quality, when the pool is bigger, of the people you hire will be higher than the average quality of the people you can find in your neighborhood. Not right. to say they can't also find some, but they're not going to be able to find enough tutors locally to be able to meet the needs of what we calculate to be about 3 million kids who need tutoring. It's an interesting number, Michael. People talk about tutoring too big, too expensive. There's two touch points where tutoring should focus. Get kids proficient in reading by the end of grade three mm-hmm. and kids to pass algebra one by the end of grade eight or grade nine. Yeah. There's about 9 million kids combined in those two grades. About a third of those kids are at risk of not failing. 3 million kids, there are 100,000 tutors serving a caseload of 30 apiece can serve those kids. It's a $3 billion national question. Those are the priority areas. Research says the interventions in those areas will be most effective. And if you are proficient at reading by grade three, you got a four times graduation rate nine years later. Mm. And if you pass algebra one in grade eight or nine, you got a four times graduation rate three or four years later. Those are the places to focus. Let's not look at this as a K-12 issue. Let's not look at this as an every subject issue. Let's not look at this as an every student issue. About a third of kids in those two areas, 3 million kids need this to happen. And the way to reach those kids will include a significant pool of live online tutors using a platform that recreates personal relationships. Love it. And then AJ, the, the actual profiles of the tutors themselves, because you can go online and reap the benefits that Alan was talking about. Who are you reaching out to if folks like what they're hearing and they want to let more people know about what Saga is doing? Who are your tutors? How are you finding them? Can you tell that side of the story? So the tutors we hire at Saga Education, it's a mixed match of really incredible and talented people. Roughly 80% are recent college graduates. And then the remaining 20% are mid-career changers and retirees. So we have just a really diverse set of individuals who said, you know what, maybe teaching is something I don't want to do. I don't want to worry about managing a large classroom of kids. I don't want to necessarily worry about developing my own curriculum. But I can handle working with two, three students at a time. And so these folks are looking to have a really meaningful impact and build relationships with a specific set of kids, you know, throughout the duration of the school year. And at Saga Education, we do specialize in mathematics and it's very easy to train people on how to tutor math effectively. And it's sequential, it's spiraling, it's something that we can measure effectively. And as an elementary and ninth grade algebra one is a critical growth year for students. That's where a majority of ninth grade students tend to drop out of school. And so from a district's perspective, that's where the demand historically has been for us. And so that's why we focus on that subject. Now, going back to your question, surprisingly, the people we recruit to be tutors aren't all math specialists. You know, we have folks who are English majors, for example. And so we assess their math skill set to make sure they have the skills they need. But surprisingly, sometimes the expert mathematicians aren't the best tutors. I mean, we've had people with PhDs in physics, you know, we're involved in, you know, creating satellites and things like that. And they're just the worst tutors imaginable. Right. Because, you know, people, when they think about tutoring, it's like you're talking, you're just constantly talking, but that's not what effective tutors do. Effective tutors inspire and get the students to do the cognitive lick. They get them to do the work. Yeah. Some of our best tutors are people who are big coaches, people who can build strong connections and relationships with students. Yeah. One of the things I enjoyed about tutoring was that I wasn't evaluating or grading the student that I was helping. And it became more like a coaching dynamic, more about, you know, the motivational and emotional elements of mentorship and belief, frankly. Lots of times kids just don't have anybody who believes they're going to succeed. 
And without that dynamic, it can be really challenging. And then now we have new tools like artificial intelligence. I don't want to avoid it for too long, Alan, but there is AI coming into the equation. Some of the supports, even arguably some of the emotional supports, but certainly some of the cognitive tutoring elements and the ways to get your questions answered and to have somebody 24-7 you can reach out to, AI and some of these new generative tools, chatbots, are starting to fill some of those gaps. How is Saga thinking about leveraging this new wave of technology that's hitting the streets? I'll touch on that, but what you said about being a tutor that you were not assessing it's actually a beautifully insightful observation because the kid's relationship with a teacher who is summatively assessing their competence or skills is a hierarchical thing. Whereas the tutoring is somewhat hierarchical too, but it's in the form of coach, not evaluator. I think that's really an interesting distinction that I haven't heard said as, as succinctly as that. AI, we see at least three channels to having it deployed in the interest of scaling effective tutoring. One is helping tutors select the just right lesson plan for the student at the moment. Mm -hmm. Just in time curriculum lesson selection is a very helpful tool. Second, listening into tutorials and giving very close to real-time feedback to the tutor about how much they talk, how much the kid talk, the tone of their questions, their wait time. Some of the things that make for excellent tutoring, effective wait time, effective checks for understanding, precise praise, those sort of things. The tutor can get feedback on that, which right now we do through a human Mm. who has to walk around and observe or online, listen in and make note. But all tutors simultaneously could be getting that as opposed to one human having to go sequentially. So that's very powerful. Third thing is we now have tested a model that has the same effect size as the model that we began with. Our model was one tutor, two kids live, no technology. Got tremendous, up to two and a half years of extra learning was the result of that intervention. And we tried a model with one tutor with four kids. Don't tutor four at the same time though. Tutor two, had the other two working on a math adaptive practice tool like Khan or something. And the next day switched them. We got the same effect size from that too. So. My view of AI will be that in that time, the students are working with the tutor. The tutor will be getting this coaching on their methodology and their lesson selection. In the day that they're working with the platform, an AI bot will be embedded in the platform. That's sort of generically adaptive for them. But the AI bot will be specifically personalized for them. Michael, you know, you remember we talked last week about this and your birthday's day, like really personal. And that AI bot will be communicating with the kid in that time so they feel it's more personalized for them. It's not personal because it's not a human. At least older kids will know that. Younger kids, I think, will think it's a human because it can be made to look like a human. But older kids realize it's personalized to exactly that. That's going to be a very helpful component of that half the time on the technology side. But the human side still exists. The human side will take the data from the technology side, employ it in the direct side to be more prescriptive for kids. I think that's the cocktail that converges the power of AI, which is clearly powerful, and the humanity of the human. We believe there's a place and a platform for both. Yeah. And some blending of the two in which, you know, it's thoughtfully deployed. And then the other stakeholders are the classroom teacher and also their families and their homes. AJ, I'd love to hear from you a little more. How do you think about the full, it's really a team dynamic and somewhat Alan was putting out there. I think we're going to add some of this generative AI to the team, but can you just round out the whole ecosystem around tutoring and really how we works when it works well. In the context of artificial intelligence, in my heart, I, I believe that education will always be human-led. It'll be equity-driven and it will be technology-augmented. So as we approach developing cutting-edge tools and resources, it's through the lens of relationship-centric design. 
And how can we use these technologies that help humans focus on what matters most and unlocking student potential? A big important step in that direction is training these tools on te and technologies on a subset of students who have historically been marginalized and not represented in the training and development of these tools. Mm -hmm. you know, students experiencing poverty who are disproportionately black and brown. And what I'm really excited about what we're doing at Saga Education is, you know, co-designing with the districts we serve, building tools for these communities with these communities. And I think that's really important as we think about the next phase in education and how we develop these tools and making sure that, you know, these populations are represented. Otherwise, you can create lots of unintended consequences and biases that can have a huge impact on, on students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And historically, tutoring has been a lot of private tutoring has been something that more affluent families get for their kids, where this model in some ways flips that on its head in a lot of interesting ways. And the results are proven. The website is sagaeducation.org for folks who are curious out there, definitely want to check it out. I do want to get some of your thoughts about what this might mean for the future of education. Yeah. I do like what you were talking about earlier, Alan, where there's a scale and a vision for what you're talking about, where even though those numbers were big, they do seem manageable. And when you think about the force multiplier of AI and some of these other technologies with the right vision and resolve, it sounds like some meaningful changes could happen. Where do you see this heading? And what are some of your bigger thoughts about how tutoring might be part of the fabric of education in the future? I was hoping you'd ask the question. I was poised. So tutoring out of school time is the least effective. It's not connected to classroom, not connected to teachers. It's really terrible. Tutoring in the Saga model, which we have our own classroom and we're built as a period on the kid's schedule is better. But the best, and I think we'll be here in five years, is we want to integrate tutoring into the classroom. So my vision for this, which I spoke about at the ASU GSV conference in San Diego in April of 23, would be live online tutors, a team of them, Kids are sitting around pods. So say there's four kids, seven pods in a class of 28. Say it's an algebra one class. The tutors are live online, out in the room. Kids are at their pods. Teachers providing 10 minutes out of a 45-minute period with some new material. The tutors are listening to that. Then they start tutoring the kids in real-time response to what the teachers just presented. So the kids are not drifting and wondering, like, I don't understand what I just heard. They're personalizing for the kids using the AI tool, again, to personalize for each of the specific four kids in the pod building relationships with each of the four, doing what effective tutors can do. The teacher's role, therefore, is twofold. Walk around the room, encourage the kid, motivate, ask questions, but also with headset on, listen to tutorials as he or she tunes to the different ones and give coaching to the tutors in real time. Look, your wait time is good. Wait time is bad. Your check for understanding is not sufficient. Make sure you address Jane in this group. She hasn't been engaged at all. I yeah. see her. She's disengaged. You may not see her from your camera, but I see it. So the partnership between teachers and tutors embedded in the teacher's classroom mm -hmm. makes the cocktail, I think, that would be the most powerful vision for tutoring. Tutors then would have clear connection to teaching. That's what must happen. Aligning teaching with tutoring is really crucial. That's real-time alignment. Mm -hmm. Second thing is teachers' experience would be under an effective coach because teachers would be hired now to be effective at their subject and effective at coaching adults as well as effective in building relations with kids. Tutors might find that experience really enlightening and, and enlivening. Say, I could be that teacher. Pipeline becomes more real for a tutor to see what the role of a teacher would be in real time as they're tutoring their kids. I think this solves for a lot of problems. We're going to experiment on this model in the fall in a school in New York City to be determined to see if 
that integration of tutoring with teaching that's envisioned by this and the live online environment in which the tutors come can be more effective for kids than any model that has been tried. Love it. AJ, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a social justice warrior here. And I think part of it is, as I think long-term is that this should just be part of the fabric of school design. You know, high-impact tutoring when done well is the most cost-effective approaches ever rigorously evaluated in U.S. public education. You know, University of Chicago estimates a return of $6 for every dollar invested in the, the approach. And so folks sometimes, you know, when they ask me, like, how do you practically scale tutoring? They, you know, it's so expensive. But how can we afford not to do it? Like, what is the other thing you're going to invest resources in that's going to generate the kind of outcomes we really need at this moment? So that's the audacious response. But at the same time, I'm also a practical business person and recognize that the more that we can use technology to find ways to make it more accessible, to make it more cost-effective, it's absolutely worthy to explore that. But I think a marginal increase of $1,000 per student on what we spend on the lifetime of students in K-12 education from K to 12 was at $100,000. You know, a marginal increase of $1,000 per student, let's say, as insurance to keep them on track for graduation seems like a really good investment to me. Yeah. And Michael, the problem, the problems in public school that need to be solved are the burnout of teachers, the fact that teachers don't feel supported, the fact that kids don't feel connected, the fact that kids learning has been interrupted. The fact that schools are not designed to catch kids up who arrive behind. The fact that there's a teacher pipeline shortage in the future. All six of those issues are addressed by effective high-impact tutoring. Every one of those. There is nothing else, as AJ says, that's likely to have the kind of powerhouse results, not just for student outcome, but for all these other issues of belonging, connectedness, teacher burnout, teacher pipeline. Highly effective tutoring built within the day addresses those issues. That's why it's, I think, getting the momentum as a movement now, not only across this country, but in Italy, it's taking root. The UK has a big program. The Netherlands has a 50 million euro investment. We've talked to people in Mexico. We've talked to people in Chile. It is a global, a global opportunity to redesign our, the schools of the future. Fantastic stuff. We're talking to Alan Safran and AJ Gutierrez from Saga Education. We're reaching our concluding point. That was good summation from Alan just there, but we're going to give you a little bit more as we wrap up here. I'd love to get some parting thoughts maybe from each of you as folks go back to the rest of their lives. What are some takeaways based on the conversation? What are some things that people can do if they care about the topics we were just talking about? Well, educators listening in, I, you know, whether it happened in Stanford, Connecticut, a teacher heard about our work, brought this program to Stanford, Connecticut in 2013, it's still there 10 years later. You know, individuals can make great strides here by taking the evidence, making their case locally and moving it up to the decision makers. I think that's important. There's a second, there's a lot of federal money that's still there. And if it's encumbered in the next 12 months, it could be spent over the next four years after the ESSER dollars ostensibly run out. So we need districts to take a look at committing to this for the longer term and encumbering ESSER dollars for a four-year extension, not just a timeline that ends a year from now. Third thing is all the problems schools are trying to solve, we suggest they to look closely at tutoring. The next state piece is good people can be tutors part-time or full-time. Most districts in this country are hiring part-time people, retirees who want to give back college undergraduates who have 10 or 15 hours a week, mid-career folks, part-time tutors could be very effective. Our model happens to be full-time. We're very open to the idea that the labor force can be part-time. The next piece is live online tutoring. If it's in the right platform, if it's got the same supports and training, districts need to open their eyes to that as the potential to scale and not to have to face the annual Sisyphusian challenge of finding enough humans to come to the workplace. 
there's a great deep pool out there of live online people who could make a difference for kids wherever they live. You had me at Sisyphusian. Thank you for that. That was well done. And AJ, any final thoughts as we wrap up here? I think parent voices are really powerful and parents have more power than they recognize. And I think if parents start to recognize and understand that this should just be part of the K-12 experience for my child, that'll go a long way when you're connecting with know, local state policymakers and federal policymakers. I'm really excited to let you know that, that high impact tutoring has wonderful bipartisan support at the federal level and also at the state level. I mean, there's a lot of conservative states investing in evidence-based high impact tutoring. You know, Mikey Sherrill and Nancy Mace, Democrats from New Jersey and you know, Republican South Carolina are co-leading a bill for access to the high impact tutoring act that would help steer additional resources to this. And I think for folks listening, it's important to recognize that, you know, not all tutoring is created equal. And as your, you know, local districts or states are investing in this, making sure that they are encouraging the use based off of solid research and evidence and holding them accountable on making sure that they're using these resources the most effective way possible. Just to underscore what AJ said, from a social justice point of view, tutoring is an imperative. And from a getting the best results for the dollars spent in public schools, Tutoring may be that pathway. So it should be attractive policy across the aisle. It's a real thing to say that something is genuinely bipartisan in this day and age. And it's also so essential to the future of our country, the future of our children. Thank you, both of you, for the work that you're doing. Alan Safran is the CEO of Saga Education and AJ Gutierrez is the Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. Thank you to both of you for joining me on today's show. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for having us. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. We'll include more information on the show notes for the episode. Please subscribe, write a review, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>